Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm number 7. Psalm number 7. As we continue this series of loving the Psalms, and hopefully by God's grace, the, the more you will see certain parts of what the Psalter speaks about, that will give you a, a love and an appreciation for various parts of the Psalter that perhaps you never thought about before in this way, or maybe parts of the Psalter that maybe at home you never really thought about singing. There are, we have our favorites, don't we? We have certain psalms. I love singing Psalm 130, Psalm 100, um, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, various different psalms. But it's good that we sing all of the Psalter. And uh, by God's grace, I pray that this would help us and encourage us all to sing through the entirety of the Psalter. Our title as we look at Psalm number 7 is Seeking God's Help. Seeking God's help, and that's really the theme um, in Psalm number 7. And as we think about seeking God's help, when we think of the world, typically, it's not always this way, but typically, when do people seek for God's help? And I'm talking about unbelievers. I think people who are atheists and all these other things, they don't remain atheists for long, do they? It's usually when trouble comes along, all of a sudden, they might even go into a church building of some description and pray, or um, not that they should light any candles, but they get very religious all of a sudden. It's often when it's convenient. I think we all know deep down that there's a God, and we all know deep down that we need his help. We've been created in the image of Almighty God. It may be bad news that stirs up the unbeliever to realizing, oh, I need his help. I need the answer to prayer. It's amazing, isn't it, how this usually causes people to stop denying the existence of God. And we also know, because we've been created in the image of God, only God can satisfy our thirst. We have this Unease until we come to God. The most tragic thing in the world really is there's many people walking around this town or all around Northern Ireland and in the, in the Republic of Ireland as well who do not realize and see that they need God on a daily basis. The most blessed people around are those people who have been brought to a state of trouble where they see that they need God. The people who are in a comfortable life and they're sailing through and seem like they have everything together That is the most tragic existence because they don't see that they need God. We all need God. The most tragic thing is that we are, we think we're fine without God. That we can act and live as we please. We can act and live as if God is not needed at all. I pray as we look at the psalm, as we read the psalm now, that we would see our need of him in the good times and in the bad At all times. Because let's face it. We all face times of trouble don't we. So let's read now God's holy and his infallible word. Psalm number 7. Meditation of David. Which he sang to the Lord. Concerning the words of Cush. A Benjamite. O Lord my God. In you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. 
lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who has a peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust, Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it in, dug it out. And, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and will praise, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. Just at the beginning of the psalm, it describes this is kind of a, what's called a subscript, a little subscript sometimes in some of these psalms that give you a little bit of information of when this was sung. It says a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord, which he sang to the Lord. I, I, I dare say we would probably struggle to come up with if we were ever to write a hymn, not that I'm saying we should do such a thing, but if we were ever to write a hymn, that we would ever come up with such words, would we? We'd probably struggle with it. But this is divinely inspired by God. And it was something David sung to the Lord. And it's something we can sing to the Lord, certainly in 2023, thousands of years later. Our need is just as great today as it was in David's day. I think we can... We can look at the descriptions, but the wonderful thing, and I've said this before in parts of the Psalms, the Psalms deal with real life. They deal with real spiritual life. Our need is just as great as it was for David in that time. If we don't see and understand our great need, what will our singing of the Psalm be? Perhaps we won't want to sing a psalm like this. We think, well, that was, that, was, that was for a couple of thousand years ago, but it's a bit too, you know, a bit too robust for today. You know, we're different people today. But the thing is, we face 
We won't always face identical challenges one to another, but the Psalms do speak to our challenges all nevertheless. We are creatures. We are weak. We are frail. We are finite. We are failing. And we're also sinners. And we're surrounded by sinners. And because we're surrounded by sinners, guess what sinners do? They sin. And this is why the psalmist is in the position he's in. He's facing not just the problem of his own sin. Though he, he pleads his own innocence and for vindication. But he's facing turmoil from those who would persecute him or slander him, basically. What does he do? Does he seek for help within himself? No. His own help would not last very long. He looks for God. He looks for God's holy standard. And as we when look, he pleads his own innocence, but not his own innocence, an innocence that is his by faith. Especially as we live in this fallen world. And this, may this psalm, as we look through it, may, may it help us to see that we all need help. We all need divine help. The most blessed among us see that we need divine help from on high. So why seek this help from God? Why seek this help from God? The first point we're going to look at is a powerful God. A powerful God. Our God is powerful. And this is why we can, why we can and should cry out to him. In verses 1 and 2, David the psalmist, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God, says this, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces where there is none to deliver. Now, how can he call out to him seeking for deliverance? Because he's a powerful He's a powerful God. If we think about it, who do most people when there's trouble in society, who do most people write their letters off to and write their letters of complaints to? Politicians. Because they have a degree of power, shall we say. And will write and will put pressure on a local representative and if they come to your door and say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to vote for you again. Why? Because they have a lot more say in what happens than you or I would have. People even act differently around people who have power. We, te- we tend to act respectfully around people of power. And sometimes we aren't that way around the nobodies in society, the people who don't have influence. We can speak often, and this is not right, but we can speak with flattery of those people in power and influence in society. Now we know that this is wrong. We should Treat everyone with the same amount of respect, shouldn't we? We are to treat our, but we are to treat our God differently because He is all powerful, all knowing, and no matter how much power men may think that they have, their power is limited. Their power is limited. The infinite and eternal God is to be seen as different to us mere creatures, so that we can. Unlike other people, we can go to him over and over again and never exhaust him. He delights to hear our prayers, those who are in Christ. We should never place our trust 
completely in men. It says in Jeremiah 17 verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who puts, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. So our trust in the Lord or trust in men, we have to put trust in men to a certain degree, but we never put our complete trust in men. Our This kind of trust that the psalmist writes about must be in God and in God alone. He's the most powerful. See, man is weak, but he's also a sinner. He doesn't see, he's blind to his own weakness and his own need for help. Do you need help? If you see yourself here this evening as weak, frail, you are blessed. The Lord has opened your eyes to this. We all are. We all are. And if you are seeking for help, desperate for God's help, oh, you are most blessed amongst us because you see your need. It's not like that some of us, we think of the rich people in society, they look like they have everything together. No, they're the most pitiful of all people. The celebrities and all these people, they have, they have nothing. Their riches will be moth-eaten. It'll, it'll disappear. It'll disappear. It won't bring them comfort when they need it most. Now, we do need to trust people, don't we? We, we? And it's good to have good friends. I pray that you have good friends who you can come and talk to when in times of trouble. You need that. But our greatest friend in time of trouble is God, isn't he? In times of trouble. And you know how you, you have that friend and he gives you great advice. He doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. He tells you what you need to hear. God is far better than that. This, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is great advice. And it's not always what we want to hear, is it? It's the best thing we can. And it's not only that we glorify God. If we follow this, it's actually good for our soul. So he's powerful, all-knowing. I remember the first few weeks... After I got saved, I remember this is back in 2009, March of 2009, and I knew very little. And I remember as a new convert, and I knew I wanted to pray, I did pray, but I didn't know how to pray, I knew very little about prayer. And I remembered all those prayers that I'd memorized as a Roman Catholic, thinking, do I need to re-memorize those? Because I've been an atheist for six years, I hadn't done any of them for a long time. And praying to the saints and Mary didn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, One of the reasons was it just seemed so foolish to go to anybody else for help when I could go straight to God. Why would I want to go to anybody else? I didn't realize at the time it was complete idolatry to go to the saints and Mary. But even still, I just said, why would I want to go to anybody else but God? I was like, I can go to the Father through Jesus the Son. Why, why go to middle management when I can go straight to the top? That's the way I thought at the time, and I praise God that he, he led me that way. I didn't meet a Christian, a single Christian, for a number of weeks after I was saved. For many of us, God is unapproachable, and there's a, there's a truth to that. Our sin and the greatness of God and the infinite power of God makes God unapproachable. Unless and until we're in Christ, then he's approachable. Only because of Christ. Only because of Christ. And because he's so powerful, he can deliver. 
And as we come before him, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. We can approach him because he's all powerful and we should trust him, him and him alone. So he's a powerful God, but he's also, number two, a protecting God. Now he's all powerful, yes, but he also seeks to protect and provide for his people. Another reason we seek to go to God for help is because he wishes to protect and provide for his people. It's a wonderful thing. We don't just have a God who's powerful, we also have a God who cares for his people, who who pours his special, well-pleasing love upon his people in and through Christ. Being powerful, I guess to say, is not enough. If if our God was not willing or interested in in our cries for help, then we'd be in trouble. But he is. We see it, don't we, using the, the, um, the picture in government. Some people in government, they have the power. They have the power to do various things. There was times recently when they was pulling down the government for all sorts of things, but they never did it for things like abortion. Never anything, or redefinition of marriage, or anything else like that. Anything that really mattered. But they're not interested in those things. They only do what they want to do. Our God is different. He does holy and righteous things, and he cares for his people. Verses 6 and 7, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up. For me, to the judgment you have commanded, so the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. For theirs' sakes. And he's crying out for help. And remind ourselves of verse 2. He said, well, without your help, O God, what would happen? Verse 2, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces, while there is none to deliver. If you notice as well in the Bible, there's often side by side with judgment, there's also the redemption and deliverance of his people. So when the enemies of God are put down, also at the same time, often God's people are rescued. So it's often a cry out for both. The the enemies of God are bringing persecution. Uh, Different Psalms will talk about the removing of their teeth. Take away their weapons. Take away the thing that would do us harm. And in doing that judgment, well, what would happen? We would be rescued. We would be redeemed. We would be saved in that sense. God saves his people. Yes, we are saved from hell. But there's many a time when we pray that the Lord rescues us. Various different things in our lives. Why? For this reason and this reason alone, he has set his love upon us. Verse 11, God is a just judge. And this is good for those in Christ. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Literally, he's angry every day, but it's specifically with the wicked. Those who persecute the church. Those who slander or say wicked things that are not true about the church. There is a difference in how God deals with the wicked and his people. He cares about his people. 
And he brings righteous judgment upon those who would slander or attack his dear, precious bride. And now, there is a type of love, we need to be careful as well, there is a type of love that God shows to all men. Okay? But this is not the love we're speaking of. There is a love that God shows for everybody. It says in Matthew five forty four and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on, on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see the type of love the Father shows on the just and the unjust. He sends them blessings of rain and sunshine. Uh, the Puritans of old would call this the, the, the love of beneficence, the love of benevolence. And what that meant was a general love where God would give them good things. So if you see your enemy doesn't have food, you give him bread. But this is not the love that is spoken about here that God has for his people. There's another type of love. A love that God sets upon his people. The, uh, it says in Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 to 9. The Lord did not set his love. This is his special love now. On you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. Again this is special love. Because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God and faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand, for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. There is a special care and love that was seen delivering and saving from the hand of Pharaoh. That's a special love. That's not the love. See, I think if we just say that God's love is just flatten it all out. Well, God loves everybody. Well, why does anybody get sent to hell then? It, there's a special love in Christ only for his people. There is a type of love as well that God has for all who are still upon this earth. God continues to show mercy well until their final breath. It says in, and look, there are these challenges that those who have the special love of God upon them. Look at verse 2 again. This is David, whom God clearly loved. Lest they tear me like a lion, rend me in pieces when there is none to deliver. Again, is this kind of a picture of the attacks of the enemy? But we have to realize, even when God allows this, it's for a good reason. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Not just the good things, but the bad things. The horrible things, the things that keep you up at night. The Lord gives and he takes away. And he allows these things into David's life. Why? Because then he can cry out and see his great need. But it doesn't mean that God has taken away special care or love for you because you face trial and difficulty. The psalmist then pleads his innocence as well, verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5. Because really, 
His innocence, this is all in Christ, is how this special love is poured upon him. O Lord my God, verse 3, if I have done this, if there's, if there's iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause. Basically, if I'm an unrepentant sinner and I'm continuing on that wide road that leadeth to destruction, well, what should God do to me? David is being acknowledging that this is what should happen to him if he is. Let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. David has no problem saying that because that is what he feels like he deserves. Verse 8, the Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. We'll come back to that in a second. And according to my integrity... Within me. He's facing very great trials from his enemies. But he's seeking vindication. Show O Lord. Who are the the just. And who are the unjust. Who are the righteous. And who are the wicked. This is what David is crying out for. Vindication. And look. This is what happened at the resurrection. Christ was vindicated. He was accused. Jesus the Christ was accused of all sorts of things. If you be the Christ, come down from the cross. He was mocked, ridiculed. It was written above him. This is the king of the Jews. It was in mock and jest and ridiculing. And But when he rose from the grave, he's not a sinner. It showed, it vindicated, it showed him openly, victorious over his enemies, And at the same time showing that Jesus was not a sinner. Because if he was a sinner, he would never have risen from the grave. And by the way, that's why our bodies will one day rise from the grave. Because we're in Christ. We're in Christ, so it'll be to glory. There will be people also resurrected to destruction as well. Surely, surely, We should seek his help when in times of trouble. The danger is we can be, and we are by nature. What's 14? Verse 14, behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. Verse 16, his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down in his own crown. And we see it all around us. Do you ever see it? There's what the... the wicked do, often, sometimes even to attack the church, is brought upon their own heads. Their own schemes and their own plans. And it's a tragic end for them. Now, just return there to verse 8. The psalmist says, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. You probably think, that's strange. He's a sinner. What righteousness does he have? But look at Jeremiah 23, verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. You see, his righteousness becomes our righteousness by faith so then we can go before him and the same, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness because the righteousness David has is from the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how our, we can come before God with clean hands. 
And we can come, so we're looking, we're looking at a protecting God, now we're going to look at a pure God, a pure God. Because in Christ we have this righteousness, we plead the merits of Christ, we can't plead our own works. Remind ourselves again of verse 7, so the congregation of the peoples shall surround you, for their sake therefore return on high. Again, this is calling for judgment, but it's really calling as well for rescue from the hands of those who wish to do harm to those who are righteous. Verse 8, the Lord shall judge the peoples. And if God judges the peoples, he will set one group on one side and one group on the other side. One will be sheep, one will be goats. One will follow the shepherd. And what will the goats do? Everything they want to do. Everything and anything that is pleasing before them. The sheep know the shepherd's voice and they run after the shepherd. It says in verse 11. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Now this may seem to be strange to our ears. It's not that God changes and one minute he's angry and one minute he's sad and things like that. No, our God never changes. But his disposition or his face, you could say, toward the wicked, unless they repent, is always Anger. And to the good, to the righteous in Christ, always favor. Because it's not because of us. We have to know and see that our God does not change. And that's a wonderful thing. It's of his mercies that we are not consumed. If God was a ma- like a man, he would change. And we could never have confidence that we would spend an eternity in heaven. Could we? He's pleading with the just judge who is without shadow of turning in any aspect at all. Do you see, in Christ, the wonderful thing is you're no longer wicked. In Christ, washed away, clean. Um, He doesn't see those wicked things you've done. If he did, you'd never be acceptable into his sight because he is a pure God. And because he is a pure God, he loves to do pure things. And because you've been washed, he delights to hear your prayers. This would never be the case if he wasn't pure. This would never be the case unless you are pure in Christ. Your sin washed away. So this pure and holy God He loves to do pure and holy things. He loves to help those who are pure and holy in Christ. There's no neutrality with them. God will do what is right and pure. It says in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 2 and 3. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face and two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. For the longest time I didn't really understand what this verse was referring to. His glory is so amazing. 
so without limit that the whole earth is full of his glory. Actually, go further. The whole universe is full of his glory. The whole heavens are full of his glory. There's no limit. There's no point in space where his glory is not found. And Isaiah is undone. He's just holy, holy, holy. And when we think about his infinite purity, is there any limit to his help? Think about it. If you're in Christ, is there any limit to his help? Is there anything that holds him back from helping you when you cry out to him in the midst of trouble? Not at all. Not at all. Why would he turn you away, dear friend? Why? Why would he refuse to vindicate? There will one day there'll be full vindication of all that is done against his bride. Openly. There will come a day when everything will be open at the end of time. Everything done against the bride. There will be full vindication. There will be, be the difference between one and the other. We also see as well. Look at the, the promise you could say. That the unbeliever. Verse 16, brings his own destruction upon himself. Verse 16, his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I remember when I was reading this, I was thinking of Daniel 6. We preached it last Sabbath morning. And remember, they tried to put Daniel into the den of lions and they ended up being put into the den of lions themselves and the king gave commandment this is Daniel 6:24 they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions so they tried to destroy Daniel with the den of lions they were themselves destroyed with the den of lions there's actually another example in the book of Esther wicked Haman seeks to hang Mordecai what happens to wicked Haman Haman is hanged Himself on the same gallows, he seeks to uh, hang Mordecai on. It says in Esther 7, verse 10, So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. I guess what I'm saying is there's lots of examples in the Bible where the, the plots that the wicked seek to do against us who are, when we're following the Lord, they really end up against those people themselves their own deeds their own and look at verse 15 he made a pit he dug it and has fallen into the ditch which he made when we see the wicked who are trying to either slander us or do I think the first response we need to almost have is pity and and pray for them they're doomed to destruction There's, there's, there's no other way out of it If God be for us, who can be against us? Our final point, and this will be the the shortest of our four points, is a praiseworthy God. Just look at the last verse, verse 17. A praiseworthy God. And a praiseworthy friend is when you can trust in times of trouble. You have that friend and you think, you know what? You can set your watch by him. You can ring him up and he always seems to have good advice. And you think highly of him. That's someone you go to in times of trouble. 
God is our true friend. We, and more than just a friend, we, we, we can and we should worship him. Look at verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to his name or to the name of the Lord most high. And I guess what we could see about this is that if we see that he's worthy to be praised, we see that he's worthy of seeking help from. That his righteousness, if we love his righteousness, if we're amazement of his glory, if we, if we love his reputation, his reputation, that's what it means there, and sing praise to the name, his reputation, his glory, his splendor, these wonderful things of God. And if you seek to worship him, you will seek also help from him. It's important that we think high and holy thoughts of him because if we think high and holy thoughts of God, we will naturally wish for his help. Think about it. It's the person, if you're in trouble, if you're truly in trouble, it's the person you think most highly of, the person who's not going to share your secrets. It's the person who's going to lovingly tell you the truth. That's the person you lift up the phone to. Well, here's the most praiseworthy of all, God. And there's never going to be a time when you ring this person where you can't answer. He's always there. Dear friends, let us not seek help from the idols. We saw this morning... Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth and Orpah. And she says, go back to Moab. She's really saying, go back and seek Moab's idols. Where our priorities were all wrong at that time. But we must realize when people tell us such things, they have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears, but they do not hear. It's only God does what he pleases. It's only God who is praiseworthy. The idols are useless. They are powerless. And they offer no protection. And they are worthy of no praise at all. They're really only worthy of scorn. Dear friend, this evening, do you see your need of help? The more you see your need, the more blessed you are the more God has opened your eyes. But it's a scary place to be if you don't see your need. Not not your need for help from other people. We do need help from other people. But your need for help from God. Not just to get to heaven. But for other things. If we'll trust him for the big things, will we trust him for the smaller things? We trust him for those things that cause our soul to be tormented. So that when we cry out lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Obviously there's fear. David's like, rescue me because they're going to... Lions are pretty scary. Lions are pretty scary. Especially in the ancient world when they weren't fed. Do you see where your help is? God is ever there to help you. But we must also see where it is not. It is not with the wicked. The wicked bring forth iniquity, conceives trouble, and brings forth falsehood. 
But our God brings forth truth at all times. Amen.